0: You know, whatever we do in life, there's probably, you can probably find three or four essential truths that are crucial in completing a a certain task or carrying out a particular activity. For instance, if I ask you, what are the three essential truths necessary for driving a car? You might say, well, you need to drive on the right-hand side of the road. By that I mean the left, don't I? <laughs> Yesterday we had one of those wonderful moments. Jordan and I we went for a drive out to the beach. Around Nora Head, and you know we're just coming along there, and you know that point where you can turn right to go on out to the beach. And this guy in a Ute came round the corner, and he just lit up the back end, and he, he lost control. So he was on our side of the road. Nearly had a head on. You can imagine my heart's thumping. Ah. And uh, anyway, we went out, drove around, had a look at the beach, came back. And as we came back around the corner heading into, to, uh, towards Tookley there, there he was on the side of the road with a cop. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Justice! Yeah, I would suggest to you that one of the essential truths for driving on the, uh, you know, surviving driving is to drive on the correct side of the road. Keep your eyes open. That's another one. Not going to last long, are you? Obey the road rules. What about skydiving? What would be three essential truths for skydiving? I would suggest maybe wear a parachute. Now, Elaine, (laughs) Elaine Bobber. Elaine turned 80 recently. She won't mind me telling you. She chose when someone said, so what, what do you want to do, Elaine, for your 80th? Said, I want to go up and jump out of a plane. (laughs) Elaine went skydiving a few weeks ago. Anyway, I would suggest that maybe one of the essential truths for skydiving was that you wear a parachute. Would you agree? Yes. (laughs) I would also suggest that maybe pulling the ripcord after you jump out of the plane wouldn't be another bad idea, and maybe don't jump too low. What about losing weight? Losing weight. I remember John Laws saying, all you've got to do is follow my portion diet. Take a half of the portion on your plate off and you'll lose weight. this this kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You have to eat less. You have to eat less, you have to exercise more. And no, pressing the remote control does not constitute exercise. (laughs) Okay, we could go on and on, couldn't we? Well, this morning I want to give you straight from God's word not three, but four essential truths for every human being on planet Earth. You know, over the last few weeks, we've spoken a lot about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we've talked about how we are called to be disciples who make disciples. So I think it's very good for us to go through and just be very clear. These are the essential truths around which we build our discipleship. These are the essential truths that we have to know and we really need to let other people know about. That's what it means to be disciples who make disciples. And I I firmly believe with every fibre in my body that these are the four things which you absolutely must know. Nothing compares to these four truths. And I don't think that anything really would come close to changing your existence both now and forevermore like knowing these four things. These are four absolutely essential truths. And if I get to the end of my life and all I've done is tell people these essential truths, I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. So truth number one. Truth number one is that God loves you God loves you and he created you to know him personally. That is the first essential truth. You just have to know that God loves you and that he created you to know him personally. In the book written by the Apostle John. Now, do you remember John? Of all the followers of Jesus, John was the one who was left standing by the cross with Jesus' mother Mary. Of all the followers of Jesus, it was John who was there right to the very end. I guess you could say John was Jesus' close mate. In fact, it was John who Jesus asked to look after his mother. On the way to the cross, Jesus actually stopped John. And his mother was there and he just said, John, she is now your mother. In other words, look after her because I won't be able to. I'm the firstborn son of my family and I won't be able to care for her anymore. So John knew Jesus. That's the main point I want to get across at this, at this stage is to say, of all the people who saw Jesus, some of them walked closely with him, but John knew Jesus. He really did. He, he knew him like few others knew him. And yet John wrote these words. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want you to remember who wrote those words. John knew Jesus in a way that few others knew him. He knew him personally. If anyone was, was going to be able to say something like, Look, I know there's all this stuff that's being said about him. He was a nice guy. He was a great guy. I just don't think you could say he was the son of God. Now, John was with him 24-7. They slept outside together. They woke up together. They went to bed together. He saw him in every situation. And yet John said, God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son. And this is him. This Jesus is him. God loves humanity so much that he gave his son Jesus to die for all of humanity. God loves you so much that he gave his son Jesus to die instead of you. And he did that because of his great love for you. He did it because he wants you to know him personally. Just like John knew him personally. It is is essential that you know that. This guy John also said, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The love that God has poured out on us is so great that we are now called children of the living God. It is essential, it is just essential that we know that. That God loves us, I would say, beyond our understanding. God loves us more than we can really know and understand. We can get a bit of an idea, but it's essential that we know that. Jesus told his disciples that God loved them so much and that he was so concerned for them that even the very hairs on their head were numbered. Now, in the first century, they didn't know anything about microbiology. If they had, I think Jesus might have said something like, you know, my heavenly father, he loves you so much that he knows every cell in your body. He knows every cell in your body. He even has them numbered. And it's not as though he loves some more than others. Jesus told told a story about a lost sheep to show us that God is concerned about every individual, and especially about those who are lost in their sins. So you see, God doesn't want anyone to be lost. That's what Jesus said. He said, it's not my Father's will that any would be lost. And he's done everything required to bring you safely home. And God's love is not impersonal. It's not like he just loves humanity as a whole. God is consumed with a passionate love for you as an individual. Right now, exactly as you are right now. It's been said that there is nothing you can do which will make God love you any more than he loves you now. And there's nothing that you can do that will make God love you any less than he loves you right now. Not when you get your life sorted out or when you stop doing wrong things or when you grow up. Right now, right as you are, God is irrationally in love with you right now. It is just essential that you know that. And not, not just in here, not just in your head, but in here. That you really know that to the core of your being, that God loves you deeply. And it's not as though God just loves you, period. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. A two-sided affair. He wants to be known by you personally. He knows you already. In fact, he knows you better than you know you. But he wants you to know him. I just find that incredible. That the living God... who holds the stars in his hands. The living God actually wants to know me. And he's interested in the kind of day I'm having. He knows all about you. And he wants to know all about you. I find that just amazing. That is a profound thing. But you know, that kind of knowledge can only happen through a personal relationship. God wants to be that close to you. That's the reason he created you. God created you to know him and to love him. You see, he doesn't want you just to know about him. He wants you to know him in a way that can only happen through personal relationship. Do you see the difference? He he doesn't want you to just know about him. Can you imagine what it would be like for those of you who are married, if your marriage relationship consisted of just knowing about each other that you could read you could read books about your husband or your wife you could read newspaper articles about them you could watch videos about their life you could listen to them speak Can you imagine if your marriage was like that? I mean, what would your marriage be like? It would be a sham, wouldn't it? It would be an absolute sham. It wouldn't be real. It would be absolutely fake. If I said to you, I'm married to so-and-so, and then I said, oh, I've never met her, you'd go, that guy's delusional. And yet many people, that's how they live out their relationship with God. They know a lot about God. They just don't know him personally. See, God doesn't want a fake, unreal, one-sided relationship with you. He, he, He doesn't want you just to know about him. He wants authentic relationship. He wants to be known in a real relationship. And when Jesus was praying for his disciples, he prayed these words. He says... Now, this is eternal life. See, eternal life, sometimes we can think it's just about the quantity of it. It goes on and on and on. I live forever. No, Jesus is saying, that's not what it's about. It's not about just living forever. He says, no, this is eternal life. That you may that they may know you, God. This is what he's praying. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you see how profound those words are? This is eternal life. To know God. Not about God, but to know him and his son Jesus. Friends, this is a profound truth. That every human being needs to know. The living God not only knows about you amongst the vastness of all creation, amongst the vastness of the universe, amongst the vastness of seven billion human beings living on planet Earth. God not only knows about you, but he knows you personally. And he wants you to know him in a personal relationship centred around love. That is a profound truth. Okay, that's the first truth that I want you to get hold of. God loves you and he created you to know him personally. But what prevents us from knowing God? I want you to think about that. What stands between us and God? You see, we have a big problem. We really do. And it's essential that we understand the extent of the problem. And this is the second truth that you absolutely must know. The second truth is that we are sinful. We are full of sin. We are sinful and we are separated from God. So we cannot know him personally and we cannot fully experience his love. What is our problem? Well, actually, it's very simple. Though many will try to make it complicated, they will say that this is simplistic, but it is simply the truth. Our problem, the only problem that ultimately matters is sin. Romans 3 verse 23 says, "All have sinned. All have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious ideal. You see, the thing is, we are all in the same boat. That is a great metaphor. We are all in the same boat. I mean, we use it so often that we can lose the significance of it. We're all stuck in the same, same boat, and it is, it is sinking. The boat is sinking. We're all sinking because of the same hole. Sin. That's what the scripture tells us. We're all in the same boat. And it's sinking because of this hole called sin. All have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious ideal. So then I want you to ask the question, okay, well, what are the consequences? What are the consequences of that reality that the boat is sinking? Well, the first one is this, that sin ruins your life. Sin does. It ruins our lives. I mean, it's just that simple. You've only got to look at the television news every night to see the consequences of sin. Violence, selfishness and greed ruin people's lives. Now, years and years ago, to illustrate this point, I brought down all the historic novels that I've read. I have read a lot of historical novels about human beings. There was a big pile of them. And it doesn't matter what era you go to. Sin is ruining people's lives. At the moment, I'm reading the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor in World War II, who the Nazis hung. He was part of a conspiracy to try to bring down Hitler. And in that novel, just, you know, it's a biography, it's truth, it just talks about what happened in the Second World War. And when you've read a lot of history before that, you think this cycle just goes on and on and on. There are more people in slavery today than at any other time in history. In the last hundred years, more people were murdered for being followers of Jesus than in the previous 19 centuries. How many people are in slavery, Phil? 29 million people are living in slavery in our world today. Sin (laughs) has made a mess of things, hasn't it? Sin ruins our lives. And on a personal level, we know what selfishness or violence can do within our own family or our circle of friends. Sin ruins our life. It just destroys it. Second thing is that sin is addictive. Sin is addictive. Do you realise that? One sin leads to another and another and another. And Jesus put it this way. He said that sin takes us captive. I'm not sure if you've seen that movie, The Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson film about the crucifixion. Oh, I've, never, oh, I've never been to a cinema experience watching a movie where at the end of it, everyone was crying. I mean, we walked out and I couldn't see anyone who wasn't absolutely shocked by what they'd seen. And in that movie, there is this this scene where they're flogging Jesus and the Roman soldiers, there's a still of it there, the Roman soldiers were just enjoying it. They were. That was just I thought, that is it, isn't it? Sin is addictive. When I re- read about in this last week about the SS and the way they treated Polish people at the beginning of the war, what was stunning, the, just, just shocking the German generals was the brutality of a small group of men in the SS. And and how they just couldn't seem to get enough of it. I I know that's an extreme example, but it is what it's all about. That sin is addictive. It really is. You know, there's a U2 song called Running to Stand Still. And in that song, Bono, in a sense, confesses. He says, sweet the sin. Sweet the sin, but bitter the taste in my mouth. Jesus was right. Sin does indeed take us captive. It tastes sweet at first, but it always turns bitter in our mouth. We're captives, and we need to be set free, don't we? We need to be set free from this. We're addicted to something that ruins our lives. We need to be set free from it. So it ruins our lives, it takes us captive, it's addictive, and there's a cost. There's a cost to sin. It has a penalty. And the penalty is death. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul clearly tells us that the penalty for sinning is death. That's what God has said. If you sin, you will die. I guess when I was younger, when I, when I read those words, it was, it was a little bit more like a I could imagine God the judge saying, you've sinned, therefore you die. But I guess as I've got older... And I guess as you get to know God a bit more and you hear the way Jesus reveals the father and the way, I mean, he could have revealed himself as anyone, but Jesus said, no, call him dad. Call him daddy. And when Jesus said, it's not my father's will that any would be lost. I guess I read those words about the punishment for sin is death. A little bit more like saying, to a little kid, if you jump off that cliff, you will fall and it will hurt. It's a bit like God saying, if you rebel against me, if you turn your back on everything that is good, everything that is loving, everything which is the source of life, if you turn your back on that, there is death. It's just simple. God is just saying, don't jump off the cliff. Sin leads to death. For the wages of sin is death. But then Paul says, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin ruins our lives. It takes us captive. It is addictive and it leads to death. There is a fourth consequence of sin, and in a lot of ways this is the most devastating. Sin separates us from God. Our sin, every one of us, our sin, has created this this great gulf between us and God, and this gulf is so great that not one person can cross it by their own effort. We're sinful and we're separated from God, so we cannot know Him personally. And we cannot experience his love. So do you see how this negates the first? The first thing that you absolutely have to know about God. As that he loves you and he wants to know you personally. You see, sin ruins that. That's why it is the single biggest issue in your life. And in my life, sin ruins the most profound truth in the universe that God loves you and He created you to know Him personally. And if that sounds hopeless to you, if that sounds like an absolutely hopeless situation, you're right. It is hopeless. It is hopeless. The punishment for sin is death, and all have sinned. That's what the all-powerful, truth-telling God said. If that is true, then humanity, every one of us, is doomed, and there is no hope. But with God, praise God, there is always hope. (laughs) Thank God there is a solution. God has a solution. And it is the third essential truth that every human being needs to know. That there is a solution. Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. And through him alone can we know God personally and experience God's love. You know, many today are deeply offended that we would suggest that there is only one way. That Jesus is the only way to God. If you think about it, if you actually think about it, there can only be one way. There, There has to be an exclusivity if God is God. And there is only one who could pay the price for us. I was talking to somebody recently. They weren't a believer. And I was telling them basically this. And it was like the light globe just went and it popped on. You know what they said? I went, Hang on, are you telling me? Are you telling me that Jesus is not kind of God's son, but he is God himself? Yep. Yep. Jesus is God's son, but Jesus is God. And then this person said. Hang on, are you telling me that God actually came down to earth and became a human being? Yes, that's exactly what happened. If that is true, and believe me, I believe that's true, if that is true, there is an exclusivity to Jesus. Is there not? There has to be. God's not going to keep doing that. He will do it once. And that's why Jesus said these words. And once again, his friend John recorded them. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and I'm the life. If you walk away from me, there's no life. Because I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to God. If there was, I mean, do you think God would have given his son? There's no other way. The situation really was hopeless. Someone once said, we have this God-shaped hole within each of us. Which makes sense because if we were created to know God and to love him and be known and to know him without that there is this hole there's this vacuum that must be filled the craving the longing is there and we try to fill it with many things but only God will fill that hole adequately we can try to reach God through human effort through living a good life through philosophy or religion but we will always inevitably fail I want you to imagine that there is a, a gulf between us and God, which there is. But I want you to imagine that it is filled with a vast ocean and many people try to reach God. I mean, some don't even try. But many people, because the longing in their heart is so great, they try to reach God by swimming across the ocean. The reality is, however, it is hopeless. It is simply not possible. Some are going to swim a little bit further than others. So some of us are going to live lives that are a little bit closer to God's standard. But ultimately, no one is going to swim across that ocean. Because the fact is, our sins just weigh us down and we're all going to drown. I want you to imagine you're out there in the water, you're trying to swim. Across the ocean, there are heaps of people in the water and from time to time you're going to come across a fellow swimmer. You're swimming along and then someone says to you, hey, you've just got to cup your hands like this. If you just kick a little bit harder, you'll be right. I'll show you how to get to God. You've just got to do it this way. Or someone else comes along and says, it's all in your mind. I know you feel like you're drowning, but it's all in your mind. Just tell yourself there's no water and you're not drowning. There's no such thing as sin. Nothing is weighing you down. Just tell yourself that everything will be all right and it will. And what's going to happen? Is that going to solve your problem? No, that's called denial. That's like the guy who... Jumps out the window of a high building, and all the way down, he's screaming, I'm not falling! I'm not falling! Eventually, truth is going to catch up with you. Eventually, the truth is that you're just like the rest of us, you're unable to cross this huge expanse that separates us from God. Or someone else floats by and they say, Hey, man. God is everywhere and you're everywhere and you're a God too. So just relax and accept that you're going to drown and then you'll become part of the ocean but you'll come back again and in the next life you might be a little bit better at swimming and you might just get that little bit further across and you might get more of an idea of what the water is really about. And as you're splashing around and you're gasping for breath and you're thinking to yourself, I just can't hold on much longer. It's getting dark. And you're out there in the midst of this vast ocean and you hear a noise approaching. It's a loud, thumping noise and it is getting closer. And there is a bright light and it is coming straight at you. And you begin to realise that it's a chopper. You know exactly where you are. that They know exactly where you are. They're coming straight for you. It's now directly above you. And through the bright lights and all the water blowing around everywhere, you can make out this, this figure standing there on the skids. And suddenly this figure leaps off and lands in the water right next to you. And suddenly this smiling face bobs up beside you and he's soaking wet But he's laughing. And he seems so calm. And he just says, So how are you doing? You're spent. I mean you can hardly breathe. You're about to drown. And he says to you, You want to be safe? Do you want to make it to the other side? Do you want to make it to God? You say, Yeah, that's all I want but it's just too difficult. I just can't make it. I know, says the man. You will never make it alone. And he says it with such authority that you're a little bit taken back. I mean, no one else spoke to you like this. And he just says, I've worked everything out. All you have to do is trust me. Do you know who I am? And he says, I am God's son Jesus, just hang on to me and I'll take you straight there. No charge, no worries, you just hang on to me. Come on, everything's been taken care of. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I mean, think about it. In that situation, you're going to start asking questions. How do I know if I can trust you? How do I know if you are who you say you are? I mean, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? That would be absolutely crazy. I mean, you're going down. You're drowning. You can't last much longer. You know what this is? It's God's rescue mission. See, the only way, the only way for God to bring you back safe, home, was Jesus had to die in your place. It's a lot more harrowing than jumping out of a chopper. This is God's rescue mission. But the same truth still applies. It's all been taken care of. So what did Jesus say to his mother Mary as he hung on the cross? Right at the end he said, it is finished. It's done. There's nothing more to do. It's finished. See, God has bridged the gulf that separates us from him by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. Why did he have to do that? Why couldn't God just say, oh, well, the sins don't really matter? But we all know sin does matter, doesn't it? And I've got to tell you, I don't want to live in a universe where there's not justice. That idea is very, very frightening. That we might live in a universe where there is no justice. It's important that we have a just God. Sin needs to be paid for. God believes that so strongly. He knows that to be so true that he paid the penalty himself. You want to know why Jesus had to die on the cross? He died to fix everything up, to make right all that we had made wrong. You see, if you open your Bible to the first couple of pages... It doesn't take long before sin comes in and it ruins everything and the very first story we have recorded is murder. Two brothers are out in a field. One of them murders his brother. And I think from that point on, God has been saying, what have you done? What have you done? What have you done? But Jesus' death on the cross fixes that you know it's not not enough just to know these three truths that God loves you, that he wants you to know him, that we have a big problem, sin it's not even enough to know about the rescue mission you need to know this fourth truth, this is the final essential truth that you have to know we must each individually receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Then we can know God personally and experience his love. If you're out in the water, in a vast ocean, Jesus jumps in next to you and he says, all you've got to do is hang on to me. And he's the ultimate gentleman. He won't force you to come with him. He says, you just hang on to me and everything's done. That's why John said, as many as received him. He doesn't force himself on anyone. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. It says in Ephesians, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This does not depend on anything you have achieved. It is the free gift of God and because it's not earned, No one can boast about it. See, all the glory goes to God. Receiving Christ involves turning from our sins, turning from trusting in our own ability to deal with the sin issue, to trust completely in Jesus to deal with the sin issue. In short, that means repentance. Honestly, regretting our sins and asking God to forgive us. Repentance is not just being sorry for the results of my sin. When I had to go into, go into Mount Penang Detention Centre and talk to young guys who were basically put in prison when they were teenagers, there were many of them who were very sorry about being in Mount Penang. But they didn't seem to be all that sorry about what they had done. You see, we can be very sorry about the mess. We can be very sorry about the fact that we're in the middle of a vast ocean, drowning. Drowning. But we need to repent, we need to turn from our sins and say, I don't want to continue doing that and ask God to forgive us. It means trusting Christ to come into our lives and to begin to change us to be the person that he wants us to be. In short, that means making him Lord of your life. You know, We've talked a lot in the last weeks about how when we say Lord, it's not just his name, it's who he is. Is he the Lord of your life? You see, just to agree intellectually that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for our sins is just not enough. Even Satan knows that. Even Satan believes that and shudders. Now, Jesus Christ is waiting for an invitation to come into your life. In fact, he says, Revelation 3 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And perhaps you can sense Jesus knocking at the door of your heart right now. You can invite him in by faith right now. Today, this last Sunday in March in 2014, three weeks before we celebrate Easter. Three weeks before we we remember again everything that Jesus did for us on the cross. What a great time to get right with God. And see, God knows your heart. So it it doesn't matter exactly what words you use. But you might like to pray these words in your heart after me. So can I ask that we all bow our heads? And I want to give you an opportunity now. If maybe this, this kind of retelling of the four essential truths Has impacted you, and God is saying to you, just in the quietness of your own heart and mind, hey, you're in the middle of that ocean, and I want to help you. You might like to just quietly pray these words, just in the silence of your own heart, after me Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. I want to know you personally. I'm struggling to even really believe that you exist. But I can just get this hint that you might exist. And deep down, I think I would really like you to exist. Deep down, you sound so good... (laughs) That I almost can't believe that you're real. Lord Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me now? Would you give me an assurance that is deep within me that I know, that I know, that I know that you are real? Lord Jesus, if you're there, Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want to open the door of my life to you and say, come on in. Come on in. Live by your spirit within me. Wash me clean. Get rid of all that sin and muck out of my life. And help me to be the person that you want me to be. Take control of myself, my life. And thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me this wonderful gift of life eternal. Amen. If that prayer expresses the desire of your heart and you prayed it, Jesus Christ will come into your life just as he promised. I know that. You know, once you invite Christ into your life, his promise is never, ever leave you. It says in the Bible, "says God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. To know God personally is the greatest decision you've ever made. And if you've asked Jesus Christ into your life today, praise God. Something has changed for eternity for you. And we'd love to hear about it. I'd love to know about that. Bless you. We're going to sing a song to finish our service.